0: And we are live! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Strong Tea. I'm Vicky. And I'm Katie. We did that super quick, didn't we? I know, I know. I bet the intro <sharp inhale> music hasn't even finished yet. It's great. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> okay, I can finish now. Um, hopefully I'm better with my words today than the pre-chat that we've just had, because I'm making up words today, which is quite spectacular. If you haven't joined us before, I don't make up words for every episode. Does. Um welcome. Welcome. <laughs> If you haven't joined us before, please check out our back catalogue. We have loads of episodes, all featuring things that we think people should be talking about more, definitely should be learning more about, and trying to get rid of the label of taboo with certain topics. And today is no different. But before we introduce our incredible guest, Jenny, we like to find out, in age-old fashion, We're all drinking. So Jenny, what are you drinking, my love?
1: Well, I've letting the side down really, given the name of the podcast, because I'm I've just got a glass of water. Um and (laughs) now I'm wishing I'd made myself a cup of tea. But I've had so much coffee this morning that if I have any more I'll be um bouncing off the wall. So just water it is for now.
2: (laughs) We tend we tend to find that when Vicky has too much coffee before a podcast, it makes for incredible (laughs) (laughs) recording.
0: It's not good. It's not good, folks. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I've gone for an age-old classic that I haven't had in ages. And it's because, I can't remember who we were talking to the other day. We were talking to um, one of our wonderful guests who said, oh, yeah, I found this box at the back of the cupboard. And I thought, I'm going to have a bit of a delve in the back there. Jam on toast, Yorkshire tea. Nice. I know. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. Stewed for a nice
0: long amount of time as well. Nice. So, Usually it's more breakfast type time. No drink. No any time drink. Any time,
2: any time. Although I haven't tried the bedtime one, which I'd quite like to do. Oh, the the multi one.
0: Yeah, it's nice. No, the the bedtime. Yeah, no, yeah, the vanilla one. I haven't tried that either. So Yorkshire tea. If you could send us a free box, that would be brilliant. A
2: lorry load. A lorry load.
0: Yeah, yeah. What are you drinking, Beck? So this may be a big mistake and might be a reason as to why I'm slurring and struggling um I've gone for wild women teas lavender dreams
2: isn't that a bedtime one
0: yeah um but it's also <laughs> supposed to be right relaxation for busy minds um it's got lemon balm oregano rosemary shizandra berries do you is
2: that
0: in feature in the list <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and Melillion flowers so it's it's sure sure it's it's good stuff
2: (laughs) great I can't wait to see where this episode goes over to you Um, so without further ado I'll take the reins from here um today I get the job of introducing our fantastic guest and my goodness isn't she fantastic I um often create these intros for our guests and I find myself uh reading out a list of things that they've achieved but wow this is quite the list. So today we have the wonderful Jenny Ag with us and she is an award-winning health journalist. She's written features for national newspapers and magazines. She's been in The Times, The Telegraph, The Mail, The Eye newspaper, Red magazine, Women's Health, Grazia, Elle, The Guardian, The Observer, many many more and if that wasn't enough she has just written an incredible book which came out in february this year called life almost miscarriage misconceptions and the and a search for answers from the brink of motherhood she has also created a blog called the uterus monologues which talks about her own experiences which we'll be discussing on this podcast so we're very very lucky today to have jenny with us because i mean if that doesn't sound like a busy, busy woman, I don't know what does. (laughs) So Jenny, without further ado, you tell us your story and how you have come to be here today with us.
1: Yes, sure. Thank you so much. That's such a lovely intro. It's (laughs) very strange to hear somebody else introduce you like that. Anyway, um, yeah, so I'm here because, um, I, I started, I started writing about miscarriage Um, so when I was 30 and this is nearly seven years ago now um, I got pregnant for the first time after a reasonably you know longer than I'd expected um, it to take to conceive Um, I was pregnant for the first time me and my husband were delighted Um, and just before a few days before we were supposed to have our 12-week scan um, I started bleeding um, and went on to have what I would describe as a fairly traumatic miscarriage in A&E. Um, and I was completely flawed, really, by how little I knew about it um, and how unprepared I was for it. Um, and I say that, you know, with the, the caveat that I don't think anything can truly prepare you for how you're going to feel um and what it's going to be like but at the same time I was really shocked by how little I knew I you know I as you said I am a health journalist by background um and I was just completely shocked when I was sat in that room with um the midwife sonographer and I was expecting her to say and now we'll you know we'll send you for some tests we'll try and find out why it happened um, or something like that. And actually all they said was, we're really sorry. And she was very kind. And she said, you know, it just happens sometimes. It's one of those things, it's nothing you did. And I, it, I don't know what I'd expected, but it was, yeah, I I was completely shocked by that. and And then I felt embarrassed because I was embarrassed that I, my idea of what miscarriage was and why it happened and how it was, treated um was so far from the reality um because you know that all the things that i think that the few very very few things that i'd read about miscarriage in the kind of pregnancy information you're given when you first go to the gp and the, the sort of the booking in appointment you have um the only real mentions of miscarriage were you know don't don't sort of the the things you're told not to do because there's a a link with miscarriage so whether that's alcohol or smoking or um I can't even think of any others but really there just isn't very much at all maybe they mention age I can't remember now but basically none of the risk factors for want of a better word applied in our case and it didn't make any difference really it was just seen as oh, you know and then you then of course you go away and you google and you read more um and I learned how common it was um and then I felt even more stupid really um for just not not knowing about this and thinking well hang on it's you know estimates vary but it's about one in five pregnancies end in miscarriage one in four women will experience um pregnancy loss in their lifetime and I just thought I I had quite a few friends with children by that point um had lots of conversations about childbirth and periods and other you know things that women talk about and I just I'd never really had anybody say I had a miscarriage and it turns out I did know a few people who had been through that but it just um, people I worked with people I you know knew from university but it was only when I wrote a piece about it for the newspaper where I was working at the time that those people told me that and sort of sent me messages or, um, you know, tap me on the, the shoulder at the kettle at work or things like that. And um, yeah, it really opened my eyes to this whole other reality, I guess, that was going on all around us and that we it wasn't really talked about very much. I think it's getting better actually. Um, and I needed to know more. And of course the thing, um, what happened next was the all the doctors and the midwife that I'd seen at the time on the day of the miscarriage everything said it probably won't happen again it's just random just one of those things chances are your next pregnancy will be absolutely fine it shouldn't mean anything all these kind of very reassuring things and statistically that that is true for most people Um, but I went on to have a second miscarriage and again, found the same thing. Nobody was going to test anything. There wasn't anything they could do. Um, there weren't really any answers beyond just happens, nature's way, all those kind of platitudes people give you. Um, and then I, and I had a third miscarriage. And at that point, things did start to kick in and I could have some testing. But it, yeah, it really did... It was a real kind of baptism of fire into how little we know about miscarriage, how little support there is for people who go through it. Um, and that's how I ended up writing my blog and then later my book. I think what you said there is
2: something really incredibly significant, because what you've been through is unfortunately so common um, and it's so hidden away and um, as you know, we've talked previously about child loss a lot on this blog, uh, on this podcast. And I couldn't believe when I went through my own experience that one in four, you know, pregnancies end in loss, whether that be uh, miscarriage, stillbirth, or neonatal death. And I was just like, that is crazy. The statistics are oh, so boy. high mm. and they are so high. So, why do you think this is so hidden? As a, as a, you know, as a, as a conversation piece, because it's almost like people are too scared in case talking about it affects them or in case it happens to them. So
1: what do you think the answer is to opening up the taboo? Well, I mean, I think there are lots of different things that need to happen, but I think you're right. I think there is this kind of attitude that by talking about it, you almost make it happen or that or I think a a big part of it I think is um there's a notion that by talking about it um you'll scare women unnecessarily and I I just don't know that that's true I think um I think it's far worse to um to you know in my case literally not know where I was supposed to go when I was bleeding in pregnancy to not know whether it was okay to go to A&E or who I needed to phone or you know any of those basic things and they just weren't really um they weren't really in the information I was given in early pregnancy and it's um I think there are an awful lot. Of, there's a lot of information you are given in pregnancy that is quite scary. So, um, I don't really know why early pregnancy loss, why that should be any different. And you need to obviously you need to give that information in a balanced way. Mm. You don't want it to be presented as you'll definitely have a miscarriage because that's not true. Um, but it is it is a real um, oversight, I think, in the system because you know. Um, something that happened to me for for example, is um, I can't remember if it was my first pregnancy or my second pregnancy, but they, they hadn't, when I miscarried, they didn't update the system. So I continued to get letters about scans that I was booked in for. And those things get booked in so early on. So then by the time I was pregnant for a third and then later a fourth time, I, I didn't book in for those early appointments because, you know, I'd, I'd been through it too many times. So I'd gone along to an appointment and then miscarried the following week and then had to feel those kind of having to phone up and say, actually, I can't come to this appointment and having somebody be, you know, a bit disapproving and saying, oh, well, why not? It's like, well, actually, I had a miscarriage. Mm. Um, can you stop sending me letters? Things like that. I think with, you know, mostly everybody's very kind, but there's this sort of setup that just isn't isn't thinking about the possibility of miscarriage, which given how common it is, mm-hmm. um, is as I say, it's a real, I think it's a real oversight. Um, yeah. You've talked about
0: um obviously that there needs to be more of an education piece around miscarriage, um, literally from day one. And there was something that you said in the pre- in our pre-recording chat about missed miscarriage. Could you talk a bit more about that and, um, and what the impact of a missed miscarriage is?
1: Yeah, of course. So this is something that I didn't know happened. Um, and I think that's still true for lots of people. Um, so a missed miscarriage is where you don't have any symptoms of a miscarriage, no bleeding, no pain. Um, and you perhaps go along to a to an early scan. Um And for some women, that's that's there for the scan at the end of the first trimester, the 12-week scan. Um, And the doctor or the the sonographer can see that there's no heartbeat. And so they they diagnose a miscarriage from that scan. And I didn't know that could happen um, until after my own first miscarriage. And I, you know, went away and read absolutely everything. Um, And I was yeah, I was really stunned by that, that that could happen. And again, that, you know, um, nothing in any of the pregnancy books or um, literature that I've been given by at the sort of first appointment mentioned that possibility. Um, and I would go, I did go on to have um, some mis- miscarriages diagnosed on early scans. Um, and it's, it's it's devastating really because i mean <laughs> no 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 kind type of miscarriage is better or worse than than the other but there is something about being told by somebody else that actually the pregnancy isn't going to continue that there's no heartbeat um and that your body kind of gave you no clues um I remember it it feels really it feels like a really kind of cruel trick that your body's playing on you. I remember thinking that and that you've kind of been betrayed almost and it really um messes with your your trust in your in your body and then then that carries over into to subsequent pregnancies, which I don't think people really appreciate. Um, and you just and you know then in in subsequent pregnancies I had some early bleeding. Um, and all the information, which and again, bleeding in pregnancy is really common. This is something I write about in the book. Bleeding in pregnancy is something that's really common and it's not always um, a sign of miscarriage. It can have lots of other causes. However, being able to discern what's going on is kind of, there's not really very much doctors can tell you. but a lot of the information you find online kind of said oh bleeding in pregnancy is really normal but but when you've been through miscarriages missed miscarriages the idea that you could be reassured and that someone could convince you that oh it's probably nothing it's just unthinkable you you just have lost all that trust really um and of course it leads to that um to a a real kind of anxiety and dread approaching scans as well. And I had that, um, so I'm kind of skipping ahead through through my story really, but I did go on to have um, my fifth pregnancy. I did go on to have my son, but really we had scans right the way through that pregnancy and it never goes away, that anxiety and dread and just that sort of awful kind of holding your breath moment, wondering what they're gonna say. Um it just you never really lose that. Um yeah, think, oh, sorry. No, 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 and I think, you know, going back to what you said, I think missed miscarriage in particular is something people just don't really know about or understand or mm. yeah, and I think we need to.
2: And it's a question that sort of resonates with me. I'm just wondering in terms of you just talked there about the anxiety during your pregnancy with your son um you know how did you cope with that because obviously after what you've been through it's a it's an awful lot to ask of a mind to just go everything's going to be okay because you don't do you
1: no no you don't um the honest answer is I don't think I deal with it very well um it's it's really difficult and I think it's quite difficult to ask for help as well unless it's offered to you because because you're so on the one hand you're so delighted to be pregnant again and you you know which is in my case that was what I'd wanted for such a long time by the time I was pregnant with my son um but I was incredibly anxious I mean you you so you thought that for me i felt a bit ashamed i think of finding it difficult um particularly as the pregnancy continued and i got beyond where i'd got before you know we got beyond the first trimester um and i i think i expected that the anxiety would sort of ease a little bit um, the further into pregnancy i got and while it was never quite as fraught as the first trimester which was you know felt like it lasted a year um I was never I never really relaxed I never kind of got to a point where I thought oh I feel you know I I, you kind of don't experience pregnancy in quite the same way and obviously there are lots of reasons that people feel anxious in pregnancy it's not only um previous loss but it I think everybody else around me, particularly as, you know, as I started to show and particularly as, um, yeah, the further we got into pregnancy, I think to other people, it just seems really obvious that it's different and it's, you know, they're kind of, everyone's really excited for you and really positive and which is lovely on the one hand, but you're also kind of, you just can't really relax into it. And I just felt this real, I was always really torn because I felt like by not um, everything you do or for me at least everything I like buying things for the baby or kind of thinking about the nursery or buying things for the nursery and it felt like I felt really superstitious and I'm not a superstitious person in any other (laughs) way Um, but I really did think it felt like a jinx it felt like you know pushing my luck but at the same time I then feel guilty for not enjoying it more when it was mm-hmm. what I wanted for such a long time and what you know I know so many other women long for and so it's it's complicated it's really complicated and it's a very intense time um and I think <sighs> I'm sure to other people I must see there seemed like a very neurotic pregnant person um you know they just i wouldn't have contemplated traveling abroad for example like that was just not or even really going very far away from um our hospital i mean as it turned out the second half of my pregnancy was during the first wave of the pandemic so <laughs> it wasn't an option anyway but it yeah there are just i think it's a different you just experience pregnancy in a in a different kind of way really
2: um, at the time of recording this, obviously, four days ago, there was some incredibly powerful movements coming through government um spearheaded by mining class and the work that she's done on talking about miscarriage. Just wondered what your thoughts were after obviously your own experience having seen this become more available what What are your thoughts with all that?
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's brilliant. I think it's an incredibly positive um, step forward. And I think um, Mylene Class and uh, the MP, Olivia Blake, have done brilliant work kind of keeping this, putting it on the agenda and kind of keeping it there. And um, hopefully we will see that play out into kind of real changes. I think. bringing in I think so I think the kind of key thing from their campaign is that people won't have to wait until they've had three miscarriages before there'll be any kind of medical support or psychological support um and I think there are lots of other recommendations as well but I I, I haven't um read the full review yet so but on that in term on that one on um on not having to wait until you've had three miscarriages. I just think it's incredibly important, really. Um, Because because you just sort of feel like you're, um, you're made to feel like it's not important, I think. Like, this happens, there's a sort of impression that it happens all the time, loads of women go through it, not a big deal, doesn't require medical attention. And that's a lot to deal with on your own. And that doesn't mean that, you know, everybody will find an answer for their miscarriages from the first miscarriage, but it will hopefully mean that there's better psychological support after the first. I think after the second, the aim is that everybody will get some kind of basic tests done, um, which could identify things earlier than currently happens. And that would be, I could just see that being incredibly reassuring. I mean, it's always difficult. um, And I'll say this in case there are other people who've been through something similar listening. I think it's difficult when something like this, when you get a kind of real breakthrough like this in terms of campaigning and something feels like it is about to change because on the one hand, you, you can see why it's brilliant and why it's so needed. And you just, you're so glad that it's happening. And on the other hand, there is a small pocket of sadness for you, I think, that it's like this, you shouldn't have had to go mm-hmm. through that. There'll be lots of people who will have gone through um, three or sometimes even more miscarriages before they got any medical attention. And actually, there are still lots of um, problems with people getting the you know, proper investigations and kind of expert support that they need anyway um so I do think there's a long way to go in terms of how the healthcare system will make this a reality um but yeah I think it's it's absolutely what's needed um and I think I think the model that's being put forward was uh developed by the charity Tommies
0: um
1: and it's which is fantastic. They they do brilliant work as a charity, but it's partly you do you do think it's so frustrating to me that we needed a charity and you know um, a charity to to come up with this and see the need and push really hard and raise some money to kind of show that this model could work um, and that actually yeah it it should it shouldn't have taken this long. <laughs> shouldn't have been that hard Um, yeah no shouldn't have been shouldn't have taken this but I'm very glad that it is happening
0: as you said there are human stories behind what has propelled this to happen and what should have happened sooner but there is you know a very real story behind the miscarriage for every single woman what was the true impact to life after your miscarriages what what were the mental and physical
1: consequences So each time I think it's slightly different Um, and I think something I'm very conscious of when I'm talking about my story now and also because I've written um, the book is that I think um, because I had four miscarriages and that's recurrent miscarriage which is it's not um, it's not really common it's also not really rare but it's I worry sometimes that people will think oh well you know god imagine going through that if you've only had one miscarriage but actually my first miscarriage was so devastating um and it was psychologically incredibly challenging um i don't really remember very much from that time um it was kind of physically traumatic I felt quite unwell for a long time afterwards. You know, for I didn't really feel like myself for several months. Um, it was incredibly confusing and disorienting. Um, I didn't know how much time to take off work. I didn't know whether I was even allowed to take time off work. Um, I, in hindsight, I really, needed some kind of counselling or outside support but I didn't feel that I could ask for that because of the way I think that it's because all you're told is that it is so common um and you don't feel like it feels like it just feels like you're making a bit of a fuss and I just don't think that's <laughs> that's true I think that's just the way we all the ways we kind of talk about miscarriage or the way it's presented to you makes you feel that way um and it was incredible it was incredibly hard you know I found it incredibly difficult to be around other people's children um I you know just seeing somebody if I was on the train to work or something and, and uh, I sort of stand up to give a pregnant woman my my seat and like you know I'd think oh god I'd be trying not to cry um and there's something about I think the fact that often nobody knows what you're going through so certainly that first time we haven't told anybody apart from our parents that I was pregnant and then of course you have a miscarriage and I I am denied, but I did tell my boss in the end because I asked for time off, and I just I didn't have the headspace to to lie or kind of make up a uh, some that some other reason that I needed time off. So I but beyond that, no one else knew. And then you're really going through something. I mean, the physical recovery is one thing, and they sort of all these things are very difficult for you. So, you know, a pregnancy announcement or um friends, children's birthday parties or christenings or whatever it is, just normal, normal life stuff. Someone's a collection at work for um, someone's going off on maternity leave or whatever it is. And it, you're, that's incredibly challenging in that you're, you know, reminded constantly. I think that's what it is. You're reminded constantly of what you want and what has just not happened for you. Um, and what you thought you were going to have so you're reminded of it almost every single day I mean and that's before you even get onto you know the internet and if you've bought anything (laughs) anything to do with pregnancy or looked up anything to do with pregnancy you're probably being served adverts and maternity clothes and all that kind of stuff um and nobody knows why you're like um verging on depressed or and you know and some women there are there are really clear statistics now that a significant proportion of women who have an early pregnancy loss whether that's a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy um experience symptoms that kind of um would qualify as a a diagnosis for ptsd um which is shocking really and these Mm. are I don't you know that's that's what what um research studies have shown I mean they, that that's not the number of women who are receiving support and treatment for that that's you know that these people are having to go about their daily lives traumatized um yeah so it's it's massive and it doesn't it doesn't have to be recurrent miscarriage for that to be the case
2: you've talked about your experience of being in um in the you know suffering your first loss and how it was almost quite blasé about people like you know the doctors sort of say you know this just happens but were you given any advice and guidance in terms of you know what's going to happen next what's going to happen to your body you know when when is it okay for you to start trying again because I imagine and I speak from experience of friends who have said they experienced miscarriage and the first thing they wanted to do was they wanted to just keep trying, you know, because they they wanted it so badly. So were you given any guidance in
1: terms of that? Yes, I think. I think, it's hard to remember now. I think they were, what they said was that um, ideally... You were okay to try again once you'd had once you'd had your period again, which could be a month, maybe a little bit longer. Um and I think they kind of said that you didn't need to wait for that, but it would make it if you did get pregnant straight away, it would make it easier to date a pregnancy. So that was they were quite clear on that <clears throat> because I think there's a lot of sort of half half treat some kind of uh, myths around conceiving after miscarriage I think um, a lot of sort of ideas that we have that I don't think are based in in anything so I, I, I don't know whether this is something someone said to me or it was something I read online but you know there are kind of ideas around oh you're really I think it must have been something someone said you're really fertile after you've had a miscarriage which I just it would sort of be said almost as if it's a consolation you're like that this is not this does not make me feel any better um and I just don't think there's any truth in it either um and I think women used to be told that they had to wait three or possibly six months but I think generally and obviously there can be complications in in individual people's circumstances so I think if you've had an infection, perhaps, or um and I think basically the the message was that you had to wait until you'd taken a pregnancy test that confirmed you were no longer pregnant. So this is something that again I had absolutely no idea. And I I couldn't believe they were telling me that this is what I would have to do because it felt like it just felt like, are you kidding me? You're gonna make, I'm gonna have to go out and buy a pregnancy test to confirm that I'm not pregnant when what when I thought I was going to have a baby. And I um and you have to do it because they have to be certain that the miscarriage is complete. And if you or if you've had and if you've had surgery, for example, you have to make sure that there's nothing um ongoing or sort of left behind that could cause problems. But it it feels incredibly cruel. Um, but yeah, they were at least quite clear on that. And I, but I do know that there is a lot of confusion about when you can try again. Um, and I, yeah, as I say, I think there's a lot of misinformation around that. It
0: seems like that with the misinformation, with the lack of access to a lot of the, this, you know, stories like yours early on in pregnancy to give that realistic view because I know when I was pregnant you know it was never even mentioned it was never talked about and you know I know we've spoken about that but it it feels outdated to ask this question but with all that in mind do you think that um miscarriage is seen
1: as a women's issue yeah yeah I do um and there's a whole I, I wrote a whole chapter in my book on this because I think it is so it's a really prevalent idea but it's because it's it's seen as kind of like all things that only affect women or predominantly affect women um it's sort of seen as like niche issues which is you know how something that affects half the population is niche is kind of is an interesting one to me um but yeah I think it is seen as kind of a sort of minor women's health issue, um, and it's um, it's not seen as having any kind of broader implications. But actually, of course, it does. You know, you're talking about something. If you're looking at the kind of what we understand scientifically, you're talking about how um, we develop as in the kind of earlier stages of human development. And actually there are all these, these vast gaps in our knowledge of kind of what happens in earliest pregnancy, why some pregnancies continue and others don't, what causes miscarriage. Most people, or um, certainly a significant proportion of people who have even recurrent miscarriage and who go through investigations, don't find out what's causing those miscarriages. That was the case for us. Um, and it's yeah i think it is just treated as a kind of minor niche issue without any kind of broader implications and actually there's there's so much that i think we could learn if we knew more about it and and you know and this is before even getting on to the obvious point which is that often not always but often when um there's a miscarriage it's a couple that it's happening to and that is often a a man and a, a woman and a man and you know they they're not <laughs> they're not neutral observers like they go through they want to have men want to have children too they grieve as well and you know there's a lot of there's not as much research but there is good research that's shown that it can be a very challenging psychological time for men too um some men Again, the same PTSD research. There are, are some men who show signs of um, PTSD long after their partner goes through a miscarriage, um, and that's you know, if we don't really support women enough, I mean, we it, men are are even more of an afterthought, I guess, um, and and also we know so little about the contribution biologically that men might make in terms of miscarriage risk. It's The focus is very much on um, women's biology. And I, you know, I think that's reflected in how women blame themselves. I mean, my first thought was, this is something I've done. I didn't, you know, I, that gym session was too hard or like, oh, I, you know, perhaps I had A coffee that one time they accidentally gave me a non decaf coffee was it that or you know was I too stressed at work all those things that you kind of instinctively you blame yourself and that's because I think we see everything to do with pregnancy as being to do with a woman's body and her behavior um and the reality is sperm health and you know there could be all kinds of things going on there um, but we don't really know <laughs> um yeah, I think it is I think it is still seen as a a woman's issue um and I think that's a mistake.
2: We've talked a lot on this podcast previously, uh Vicky and I through our own grief experiences, but I'm interested to know from your experiences and your loss. What is it people, uh, what are people's reactions when they know you've experienced this loss? Because, you know, you talked previously on one of the other questions about someone saying something almost like it was a consolation prize. You know, what's, what is the reaction and what do people say?
1: So I think it's a split. I think some people, people, if someone's gone through something similar themselves, they, they get it and that's, you know, that's very clear. Um, But I think, and on the whole, we were quite lucky with our friends and family. Most people were really kind. I, but there is, there is definitely, there are definitely kind of themes to the things people say, which is, you know, at least, you know, you can get pregnant or at least it was early. and I think the main one for me was people just seem to forget. Um, so, so you know, immediately after a miscarriage, people would be very kind and would kind of and sensitive. That's the word I'm looking for. But then you know, a month after that or a couple of months later, it would, it would almost be like. Um, They couldn't, there'd be a comment about pregnancy or, I'm struggling to think of an example, but, um, or, you know, or a sort of throwaway remark about, oh, you know, you're so lucky you can lie in at the weekend or you'll understand when you have or Just like throwaway comments. And nobody's, they're not thinking about, my personal circumstances but I think it's indicative of how quickly people expect you to move on Mm -hmm. um yeah I think that that was a a big one really oh so like showing oh I've you know I remember a relative showing me it was about a month after our second miscarriage and they were sort of showing me oh look what I've I've just ordered this for so-and-so's new baby and I was just like why are you showing me this and you're trying to smile through it because you don't want you know they're not doing it to be unkind. They're not they've not connected the two things. Um, I think partly it's because to you, um the the kind of the baby, the the child that you thought you were going to have is so is so kind of clear in your mind, and you've pictured what your life would be like and sort of all those kind of Things and details of the future and but to other people they don't if they didn't know you were pregnant to start with and particularly if it was early and so you never looked pregnant you never um you never announced it there was never any kind of um outside yeah perception of your pregnancy I think it's very difficult for them to see it in the same way um but yes, I did find that quite hard. And then I also found it hard the further on we got. So when, um, by the time we you know, had had a fourth miscarriage and we we took quite a long break to kind of um, regroup, I guess, before we tried again. And it was a real sort of moment of, can we keep doing this? Is this, you know, is this how we want to live our lives? Keep, keep putting ourselves through this essentially. And I think a lot of people think they're, I think they think they're being helpful and supportive by saying, I know it will happen. Um, I've got a really good feeling. And you just think it's so lovely of you. And it might be completely what they believe and completely genuine, but it's not necessarily how you feel. And actually, you kind of need somebody to tell you that it's gonna be okay, even if it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um so that, yeah, I think that's a sort of a, a, a missing bit, really, sometimes in how people treat you. It's important, that isn't must it, have what had- you just said there about if it doesn't happen, it's also mm. OK. Yeah. And. I'm kind of aware that this is a difficult one for me to talk about, particularly now, because I do I do have, you know, I have a son and. Um, but I remember feeling, in that we took about a year off after our fourth miscarriage and we just didn't, we didn't try to conceive. We didn't, we just put it out of our minds and just kind of focused on everything else and trying to, you know, enjoy ourselves a little bit. Um, and I remember thinking by the end of that year in a way that I hadn't really expected, I did feel a kind of, you know, I still, I still felt sad about what happened and I still you know some things are still difficult things like Mother's Day and, and things like that but at the same time as that year went on I did kind of feel like we would find a way to have a really full and happy life Um. and I yeah it would have been it would have been it would have been very helpful if I'd had that experience from somebody else to kind of yeah to hear that because it yeah it doesn't feel like it but you are going to be okay whatever happens doesn't mean it's not incredibly difficult sounds like that
0: support wasn't always there or the right words weren't always there for you and it sounds like it may have impacted a lot of your relationships
1: as well um yeah, I mean I think I think we were really lucky, you know, like we do we do have very supportive families. Um but I think but yeah, it does it does affect affect your relationships. I think fortunately, I think most of most of the top so I think where it imposes distance. And this is obviously it's a really common experience because often if you're trying to start a family your friends are probably going at a similar life stage not always but often Um, and so for us we were right in the peak of our our friends having having children having babies announcing pregnancies and that is quite hard Um, and you know there was never any kind of open conflict or anything like that but I I think things like attending birthday parties, send, you know, at certain points even, and I <laughs> this probably makes me sound like a terrible person, but you know, sometimes even like sending a card was just um yeah, it's it's very difficult for you and it's very and the, the flip side is it, it's very difficult for you to then be there for your friends who are going through um, you know, early motherhood, which is incredibly challenging, it's an incredibly challenging time. Um, so there are two sides to it. So that's, you know, that's, that's challenging to a friendship. Um, and I think, but I also don't think it's insurmountable. I think with kind of, you know, we are very lucky in that people kind of learn how to, to navigate it. Um, and I think (laughs) we're, as far as I know, I, I've not, nobody's held it against me if I didn't send a present or things like that, or if I kind of made excuses not to go to things. Um, and I think, yeah, you can kind of get through that. And it does become, those things do become less painful with time as well. I remember, um, I think I wrote about this actually, relatively recently, one of the, one of the first signs after that fourth miscarriage in the year we took off one of the first signs I had that I thought no I, I feel ready to to try again was I am um, I was actually enjoying spending time with kind of friends children again like it felt it felt really positive and I kind of think oh I should offer to babysit or whatever it is and this is with you know with really close friends and actually yeah you do find a way it's and it it takes it takes effort from both sides, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say that you should force yourself to go to a baby shower the week after a miscarriage. But and also it's not to say you should put up with people being dismissive or um but yeah, it's it's it is challenging. It's it's challenging.
2: I think that segues nicely onto this sort of next question in terms of we always ask our guests who have experienced something in their life or are currently experiencing something that other people may be going through. And we ask for advice, not just for those people. So maybe if someone has experienced miscarriage recently or has had recurrent miscarriages, but also on the other side of that in terms of what's your advice to the people on the outside, how, how, can they support someone going through something like this because I think a lot of people just don't know
1: yeah I think it must be really hard and you know I have this kind of unfortunately I have seen it from the other side now as well and you know <laughs> something about having written about miscarriages mean that often people will come to us they might not have told other people but they will come to me and my husband if if they go through miscarriage themselves so it, it is The instinct to want to say the absolute perfect right thing that will make them feel better. It's like with all grief, isn't it? You want to say the perfect thing. You want to make them feel better. um, But there is no perfect thing. Uh, It's always better to say something um, kind and something kind of, you know, I'm thinking of you than to say nothing. Um, Like, and it's tricky because you... I know from you know my own experience of trying to support other people, you do worry that, oh, is that enough? Is that you know I don't want it to seem kind of I want it to be clear how much I care, but I really do think it's better to just to say something. Um and I think not to there's not beyond kind of things you would do in any situation, maybe sending something food or flowers or a card um just a, you know just a message to say I'm really sorry I'm thinking of you that's that's fine that's enough and then I think beyond that it's just being aware that actually that whole area pregnancy and babies and having children is going to be a really sensitive topic for those people for probably for quite a long time um and I don't think that means you have to make an issue of it. I just think it's being aware. Um, If you are the person who, I don't know, is having a first birthday party or who then perhaps, or announcing a pregnancy, don't spring it on them. I think that's, um, I know that something I used to find really difficult were kind of uh, pregnancy announcements in group whatsapps and things like that group messages because i don't know i something about it A, because it's like an ambush i guess you're not expecting it it's not like you're meeting up with you you're not meeting up with somebody they've not phoned you it's just sort of there in the morning when you go to work somebody's kind of sent their scan picture for their 12-week scan saying due in whenever i used to that was that was hard um so I think if you can to kind of, if you're going to announce a pregnancy online or in person or however it is, perhaps just send somebody a message beforehand and say, um, cause actually I have a really good example of this that a really good friend of mine did. And I was just so grateful to her. So her son was born a couple of weeks before my first miscarriage and when it came to his first week of school she um she sent me a message a couple of days beforehand to say just so you know he starts school in a couple of days i'm going to put the pictures up online on facebook just in case you you know just so you don't get caught out by them um and it was the fact that it occurred to her that you know had that first pregnancy continued, our child would have been starting school too. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, of course I'd had all those ideas when I was pregnant that our children would be in the same school year and that was lovely because we'd have children close in age and we're very close as as friends. Um, Yeah, it just, it meant so much. And actually the irony is, it meant that when I did see those pictures on Facebook, I just felt really happy for her and it just kind of took that sting away. Um, so it's things like that and it's I think it's just judging you know like how close a friend are you Um, and it's just yeah not putting people on the spot I think Um, and basics basic things like not making a comment if someone's not drinking alcohol Um, not asking them so when are you guys having kids are you going to have another like just I mean it's funny to me because there are some people who you know who agonize over like what the right thing is to say to someone who's going through miscarriages and trying to you know be as sensitive as they can and then there are other people who just have it's just not even on their radar they're still barreling up to people they barely know and asking them so do you think it's time they have a sibling yet or you know are you gonna when are you gonna have kids like it's just yeah yeah that just being conscientious and just being
0: uh, giving yourself a second more thought just to think about how you're approaching an individual because I think a lot of people just ask questions because it mirrors their
1: own lives um, yeah I'm sure I, I, I really yeah I really don't think it's malicious or anything I just and I guess it, it's you know in a way it's it comes from they're in kind of they good fortune really yeah. I guess mm. if you have not had any difficulty getting pregnant or if you don't have if that was never complicated for you if you've only ever known getting pregnant really quickly having an uncomplicated pregnancy um yeah like it, I guess it's just not mm. not on your radar that that might not be the case for everybody which is you know it's a lovely mm. <laughs> a lovely naive state to exist in but at the same time um I don't think it takes much to just think you know these things are mm. do happen to people I mean I know before, when I've talked about pregnancy with with friends before I've had people kind of say oh I don't really remember the first trimester Like, <laughs> oh I wish I wish I couldn't remember like every you know tense moment of the first trimester mm. uh,
0: think what you're doing is helping shift that education and helping to shift that thinking um, from people who haven't experienced it Um, so massive thank you for you know spreading your message and you know giving your story Mm. we offer all our guests the opportunity for a final sip now this final sip is it basically we just chuck the microphone over to you and just say whatever message you want to give to our listeners, um, whatever you want to say. The floor is is yours, Jenny.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, that's that feels like a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I do you know? I think the main thing, and this is, I've noticed this a lot since since my book was published, is that um you it's seen as such a big scary topic, miscarriage, pregnancy loss, baby loss, and I, and obviously it is devastating for people who go through it, but at the same time, we are just normal people, mm-hmm. um, your friend who has a miscarriage is, is is still your friend, they still need you to treat them in the same way, and react to them in the same way, and it's it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be this big scary subject that kind of looms between you and if you're unsure of what they need, ask them, um, ask them if they want to talk, they might not want to talk about it all the time, um, yeah, I think, I think it's just remembering that there are real people, um, it's not and I I resist this a little bit with the way my story is presented sometimes which is that you know almost a slightly kind of sensational you know for miscarriages and and people sort of treat it as if this is kind of medically unthinkable but actually it might not be the norm but it does happen to a lot of people you know I am not the only person in my social circle who has been through recurrent miscarriage it's not um There's not, I think sometimes if you've written a book or if you're, you've written a piece for a newspaper, it's kind of seen as because there's something exceptional about what's happened to you. And in this case, I think my point is it's because it's not, the whole reason that I've written about this, that I want to talk about it, is because it's sadly not exceptional. It's something that happens to people all the time. Um, And there is just very little support and very few answers still um, for why it happens. Um, The medical care is possibly not always there. The system doesn't really accommodate you. And I just think we need everybody to care about it Mm -hmm. because that's the only way that things will change. Um, So, You know, if you are an employer, perhaps look at whether you have a policy on pregnancy loss and miscarriage, because currently there isn't anything in the law. But, you know, happens to one in one in five pregnancies, one in four women, someone, someone who works for you or with you is probably going to go through this at some point. Um. So, yeah, I think I think really that's my thing is it sounds like an incredibly scary dark topic um and why on earth would you engage with that if it's not something you're you're going through yourself but I think there's a lot that we all need to learn and think and that we can all do to to help when when it's happening to people because it is unfortunately until something drastic changes in the kind of medical science people are still going to go through it mm-hmm
2: Jenny thank you so much for sharing your story today um yeah. I know what you've said about you know it not being exceptional and all of those things but the bravery you show
0: yeah.
2: um in talking about it and trying to help educate others is incredibly powerful so thank you for that and we'll put your links uh for social media and also the details for your book on our blog piece as well so that people are able to access thank that Thank so um and uh listeners thank you for listening um it's been another um incredible incredibly powerful episode um so thank you for joining us if you haven't listened to our other episodes please check them out the full back catalogue is available on spotify and if you are on your uh, chosen podcast platform of choice please rate us We've never asked for that, but we want no, to be rated. Yeah. Please rate us. <laughs> um, and if you don't want to do that, go on our website and buy us a coffee uh, on our Support Us page because we also have that on there. So thank you once again, Jenny, and thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you again very, very soon. Bye. Bye.